Welcome to Diet Culture Dropout. Are you ready to drop out of the $72 billion narrative that you've been sold? Diet culture sells us lies, unattainable beauty standards, the narrative that your body's inadequate, and dictates how you should define your health. It is pervasive, oppressive, and damaging to all areas of our health. By dropping out of diet culture, we can together celebrate all bodies, work towards dismantling weight stigma, and stop the transgenerational trauma of body shame and dieting. I'm your host, Athena Brown, a non-diet and body-inclusive registered dietitian, a certified intuitive eating counselor, yoga teacher, and a mom of two strong-willed daughters. My passion is helping people heal their relationship with their body and food so they can live a full life without restrictions, size limits, or food rules. I also desperately want to change the narrative for our kids so they can be the first generation that never diets, has resilience in our body-obsessed world, and a positive relationship with food. This podcast is a safe space for exploration, mindful moments, and take-home practices for anyone looking to find food peace and body liberation. Please remember that this is for educational purposes only and does not replace medical advice from your primary care provider, therapist, or registered dietitian. I am so happy you're here. I want you to know that wherever you are in your food and body peace journey, that there is room at this table for you. You are so worthy, just as you are right now. Hello, and welcome back to Die Culture Dropout. Today, I'm really excited for today's guest. We are continuing with the intuitive eating series, and today is principle number two, honor your hunger, and we have the honor of having Suzanne Diedrich here. So welcome, Suzanne. Thanks, Athena. I'm excited to be here. We are so happy to have you. Um, so like, I like to start out most episodes, I just wondering if you can share to the audience a little bit about yourself, uh, where you're physically located and the type of work you like to do. Absolutely. So, um, my name is Suzanne Dietrich. My pronouns are she, her, and I'm a registered dietitian and the owner of gut instincts, nutrition counseling, which is located on the traditional territories of the Anishinaabe um, Haudenosaunee and neutral peoples, um, also known as Waterloo, Ontario. And I'm a certified intuitive eating counselor and um, I practice with intuitive eating, body liberation and health at every size principles. And I've been fortunate to do this work um, for about the past 11 and a half years. And so, you know, I of course need to and use scientific data in my approach um, to help people um, you know, move away from dieting, but also, of course, more importantly, almost is people's individual experiences with food and their bodies. And so I help people um, move away from disordered eating, eating disorders. And I also help with gut health too. Amazing. So very seasoned and so much experience. So I'm so happy to have you today. 
Thank you. So uh, the next question I love asking to just kind of give listeners um, some context or like an everyday example of how diet culture comes up for dietitians as well. Um, so can you give me an example of how diet culture has come up for you personally, uh, maybe more recently? Absolutely. So I think many people have had this experience, but, you know, we recently celebrated Thanksgiving in Canada. And um, as I was setting the table with a family member, the family member asked me if I provide recipes for my clients and my business. And I said, sometimes I do. Sometimes I steer people to websites. I don't do a lot of recipe development or food photography or food styling. Um, and my family member said, well, um, you know, I'm on this um, no sugar diet. And I was thinking that you could share some of these recipes with your client. And so I feel like I'm always just gobsmacked, like when I hear these things, and I don't know how to respond. And then I come up with about 50 responses later. Mm -hmm. um, but then I, I did say to her, you know, um, I'm, I work with people with disordered eating and eating disorders, and I'm trying to help people eat more sugar generally, and try not to <laughs> avoid things. And mm -hmm. So that was one of the most recent experiences where it came up. Oh yeah. And in, in your home too, right? So we can't, we can't block it <laughs> at all, really. <laughs> Absolutely. Another one I was thinking was I was reading like a book on finances, like how to work with your personal finances. And it was talking about just comparing it to dieting, you know, and the willpower. Oh, and I'm gosh. Like, Why are you talking about this in here? You know, this does not belong in here. And you, yeah, you do not have the, um, uh, did you have the credibility to be talking about this and why is it needed yeah. here, right? But it's yeah. everywhere. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. All right. So we're continuing on the intuitive eating series. So each episode's a new uh, principle. And today we're talking about number two, honoring your hunger. So I think it would be a really good starting point launch pad to kind of first start with describing what hunger is. Um, because for some people, they don't know at all what that even means. So how would you kind of first um, go into that, Suzanne? Yeah, so I would kind of describe it as like a biological need to eat, right? Or a signal that we get from our brain and our gut. And, you know, the gut-brain communication works uh, system works together as well, too. But it's, it's basically telling us that our body needs nourishment. And so what it can look like is so individual for people. Um, you know, it might be the physical symptoms of the stomach growling or getting a headache or starting to think about food, feeling nauseous, feeling anxious. Um, so there's a variety of signals that can kind of come through for hunger, um, but, but it is very individual. So often in my work, I'm trying to encourage people how to tune into what those hunger cues are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Versus like appetite that would be more like that desire to eat uh, food. So yeah, we just had Thanksgiving. You just mentioned that. So that would be like, after we eat our delicious Thanksgiving meal, mom brings out that cake or that pie. And you know, you're not, you know, necessarily hungry, but that appetite kind of strikes you that desire um, to stimulate. Yeah. Absolutely. So kind of two separate things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and I know the intuitive eating uh, principles, they really go into biological hunger. So that exactly what you're saying. We need to fuel those, those, um, or replenish those stores essentially. Yeah. Awesome. So how then do people that diet or engage in some type of disordered eating pattern, how 
do their hunger signals get a little disrupted then? Mm -hmm. So with dieting or disordered eating, it's often external sources telling us when we need to eat, what we need to eat, how we need to eat. And so that kind of encourages a person to ignore or question or distrust those hunger signals or hunger cues, right? So for some people that can lead to suppression of them, right? And then after a while, the inability to recognize them, uh, let alone trust them. Um, so it's frustrating because the diet is telling us that um, we can't trust our bodies. And mm -hmm. so we need to be able to do that. It's like, you know, just like we look at, oh, I, the signal to go to the bathroom or the signal to lie down or close our eyes or sit down or stand up, right? Those are all signals. And for most of us, we look at those signals as really neutral, but mm -hmm. dieting encourages us to look at that hunger signal um, with judgment and that it's, you know, wrong. And, you know, how can you be hungry? You just ate this, right? It mm -hmm. doesn't, it doesn't take into account, um, you know, how our needs can fluctuate over time and take into account if we ate a little bit less the day before, or, you know, if there's been a period of time where we haven't eaten that much, right. And we might be very hungry, right. So it it just, it kind of hijacks that hunger signal for us, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And out of all of our signals, it's really hunger is the only one we're kind of having that, that questioning with. I always love the analogy when people use like going pee, like we're not like questioning like, oh, that was too much. I need to hold it in, you know, like only certain times can I go pee kind of thing. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah, we're just having a, such a different relationship with hunger. Mm -hmm, absolutely. And there's, you know, there's even things that can kind of, kind of disrupt, right? And so it requires an attunement, right? And, you know, being able to kind of tune in to how we are feeling and take a break and look at that. And so the dieting doesn't let us do that, right? And so these attunement disruptors can kind of interfere with our ability to hear and respond to our body's cues in a timely manner, mm -hmm. in a timely manner. Right. And so yeah. that's, again, the dieting, the rules kind of coming in there. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. Yeah. And then speaking to, you know, how intuitive eating and really respecting your hunger is, I just kind of wanted to throw in there that, that privilege piece as well too. So, mm -hmm. you know, people who've experienced food insecurity, um, you know, hunger coming up for them is, you know, a, a trigger as well to all of that kind of emotional side effect of, of feeling hunger as well too. Um, absolutely. And I've worked with a lot of people who, um, um, in, you know, before they started working with me, who had experienced food security or, um, a sense of food scarcity. And for some people that that feeling of hunger can, um, also trigger a feeling of anxiety, right. And fear of when I'm going to get to eat again. Right. And mm -hmm. so, um, I think it's, um, you know, this is, this is something I've never experienced before, fortunately, but so many people have. And um, I think it can make this, this principle of honor your hunger more complex for people. And so oftentimes when I'm working with people and, you know, sometimes this is the first principle they really want to do. They want to get this down. They want to only eat when they're hungry. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, um, 
this isn't the hunger fullness diet, right? This is kind of exploring what does my body need and trusting that and trying not to judge it. But when there's that history of food scarcity, then that can complicate things a little bit more. And mm -hmm. it's, you know, sometimes it involves working with a counselor as well to, to work through that. Because for some people that is that is a trauma, absolutely, right? And so mm -hmm. looking through this through privilege lens is different than looking at it through a lens of somebody who's experiencing food security or food scarcity or has experienced in the past. Yeah. So yeah. beautifully said. Yeah. So then moving towards like, what does diet culture generally teach us then around hunger and how do they want us to perceive it um, from their lens <laughs> that generally tends to mess up everyone that is a chronic dieter? Mm -hmm. So um, basically that hunger is not to be trusted. Uh, you know, um, just ignore that, like follow this plan, eat this much, stop then, you know, don't, don't, don't trust it, you know, and like that, that cue is wrong. That cue is false. This is all you need. We've done the calculations for your body size, for your age, for your, for your gender, for your sex. Right. So it's yeah. just, it's, it's, it's telling us it's not to be trusted. Um, it's, it's almost like gaslighting in a way, right. You know, cause we mm -hmm. think we're hungry and then the diet plan says, no, you're not hungry. Right. And so, um, it can get really confusing. Um, and that can unfortunately just mess with how we care for our bodies. And it, then it can take longer for one to kind of get back in tune with that, those cues and those signals. And oftentimes what happens too, which I meant to mention earlier is that when people are following diets or engaging in disordered eating, oftentimes um, because of the suppression of the hunger cues, most people I work with, they know like very hungry and they know uncomfortably full, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's like, sometimes people lose the ability to recognize kind of the comfort zone or the in-between zone and they only know the like really ravenous and extremely full right yeah, and so yeah. it's about learning some of those nuances of in between and you know I'm starting to get a little bit hungry or I'm starting to feel a little bit full I'm starting to feel satiated right people yeah. kind of disconnect from that and yeah. that can that's what I find most people are trying to figure out um the in-between part as opposed to the extremes because the extremes are there for them yeah. Yeah. So what, yeah. What were all those signals, those cues, those body sensations that were happening before we got to, you know, hangry as a lot of people like to joke and say, but is a real thing <laughs> ripping the fridge door off and kind of having, you know, that extreme primal hunger act there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I mean, because dieting doesn't really give us a choice, like doesn't give us too many choices to eat, then, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's like when we are allowed to have those things or, you know, then we just go and have as much as we want. And then, then comes the feelings of guilt. Right. And so the other thing that diet culture does is it kind of inflicts the shame on us when we eat according to our hunger. And exactly. so it doesn't feel good. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Almost again, like you said, those calculations making us, you know, be a computer or a robot or a machine. That's like exactly this much of X, Y, Z. And that's never usually the case, right? There's so many variables that influence, you know, our energy needs and what makes us hungry and what makes us tick. So mm -hmm. <laughs> not that cut and dry. Absolutely um, not. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. So then how can we connect, um, you know, the big bases of intuitive eating, you know, that critical foundation is getting adequate self-care. Um, we talk about self-care a lot and how do we connect feeding yourself and hunger? How is that connected to self-care? So it's, it's really deeply connected, right? Um, self-care, um, involves so many things, right? Um, sleep and rest and nourishment and, um, you know, kind of tuning into our spiritual needs, our relationship needs, um, our physical needs and self-care often asks us to kind of step back and reflect a little bit, right. And gives us moments of pause. And so if we don't have these moments or we don't have proper sleep, then it's, it's hard to, it's hard to recognize these cues. And so um, then we kind of question things again, right? We question, am I hungry? I'm not hungry, right? All of those pieces, right? Mm -hmm. The other thing is that um, if we don't have self-care, then we kind of have all these attunement disruptors, right? So if, if life is chaotic, which for so many people that it is, right? Um, then we can't hear or respond to the needs of our body in a timely manner. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that can be things like being on the phone all the time or um, just taking care of kids like we all need to do, right? Um, just yeah. lots of work, lots of volunteer, like all those things, then yeah. we don't have time to pause. And so mm -hmm. those attunement disruptors are really strong and those attunement disruptors um, can influence how we recognize those cues. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like our body's constantly in that like fight or flight response and it's really hard to kind of, yeah, kind of regulate or reduce the nervous system to kind of be able to have that, you know, time in that space and allowance to even, yeah, connect back to those hunger cues or do, yeah, do beneficial self-care when we're kind of in that fight or flight, like survival mode kind mm -hmm. of setting. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I often think of like stressful event or a life event, you know, like I think mm -hmm. of if, if we have somebody that we know that's in the hospital, right, we're just trying to, you know, help that person with their needs and be there and visiting and you have to follow all these rules, right. And so oftentimes, you know, it's like the person gets home and they're like, I didn't eat anything all day, right, because all that stress is going on, right. And so in times like this, it's it's like we we don't have time to connect with our hunger cues if we're even aware of them, right? And so in times like this, it's good to, you know, do what we call mechanical eating or, you know, I call it intentional eating. And it's just to kind of prepare for preventing that extreme hunger coming on. And at those times too, our hunger cues might be, you know, they might not be, like you said, the flight or, fight or flight mode. So it's not... It's not there for us to see it, but we still need to nourish our bodies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then I think to recognizing the role that anxiety and depression can play too sometimes with hunger. And sometimes it can um, really affect someone's hunger cues and kind of dampen those hunger cues. And same with depression as well too, or it can go the other way. And with intuitive eating, the thing I love about it is that it's, there's no right or wrong way to do this. And it's about really nourishing ourselves and being inquisitive about our hunger. And, you know, if we're, 
experiencing anxiety or depression, you know, we think how important nourishment is and, um, you know, trying to see if we can, we can get that food in there, even though that, that feeling of hunger is, is not really strong at that time. And sometimes it involves distracting us ourselves when, when we are eating, when we're going to sit down to eat. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Awesome. So when someone's trying to connect back to their hunger, um, what are some, maybe some steps that you would first try to get people to kind of work through to really be better at identifying, like you said, that gray zone or that middle zone where there's those, you know, initial signals before we're on those like extreme ends of hunger or fullness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, I often kind of in my work, I use a lot of Fiona Willer's work. And um, so what I'll generally do is um, encourage people to do like a bit of a scan. So, you know, it might be that they kind of sit down and close their eyes and kind of focus their awareness on their mouth and their tongue and their throat and their neck and kind of work their way down the digestive system to their, their stomach and, and see if there's any signals that their body's giving them about hunger and fullness mm-hmm. and you know how does how how do things feel do they feel tense dry hollow right um you know is the stomach growling or is it moving and um does the person feel nauseated or settled and then kind of you know if some emotions emerge then acknowledge them but try and set them aside to focus on the physical sensations and then from there um, kind of just check in where is hunger falling up? Where is hunger com- coming up? Is it coming up at all? Where's fullness, right? Or am I neutral, right? So it's kind of a matter of seeing if you can spend a minute or two, um, one, two, or a few times throughout the day and just checking in. And um, the most important thing is not to be judgmental of it um, yes. because we need the awareness. And absolutely, mm-hmm. if we're judgmental, then um, that's going to be hard to move forward on that. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I kind of get people to look, I ask people to look at it as a scientific experiment, right? And to try mm-hmm. not to jump to conclusions too quickly, right? You're gathering data, you're gathering data here. You don't need to make hypotheses. You don't need to do any of that. You're just gathering data. And so often in my work too, I, I think of like, you know, I use the hunger and fullness scale. And, you know, I think of one as very hungry and 10 as stuffed full or uncomfortably full almost. And see if you can kind of think of your hunger and fullness on a continuum, you know, and where is that right now? Is it three where, you know, I'm starting to feel, you know, a few signals to go eat. My stomach is growling a little bit. Maybe I'll start to get ready and then, and then go get some food and and see how that works. Right. And then the lovely thing about, um, starting to honor your hunger signals is that once you start to learn about those, then the next piece often is what it can help us with what, what do I want to eat? Right. And is it, you know, like I just, I just had my lunch and I was like, what do I want to eat? I was looking in the fridge and I was like, I don't want that. I don't want that. I want something warm because I'm feeling a little cold. So I made myself like one of those Monte Cristo sandwiches. Right. And it just, that's what I needed. Right. But mm-hmm. if we if we are very hungry, then it's hard to step back and say, oh, what do I want? Do I want warm, salty, sugary, right? Like mm-hmm. it's hard yeah. to know that, right? So yeah. it can just give us so much more information when we're not eating when our blood sugar is dropping and we have a headache mm-hmm. or feeling anxious. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That urgency is just most like get the food in as fast as possible, kind of where you're at in that game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. 
Good. So really trying to connect with like the body cues, the body signals, um, to first kind of, you know, check in trying to slow down and trying to connect back with your, with your hunger then would be where you kind of lead them. Um, and then kind of exploring too, kind of, well, that's kind of the principle we talked about previously is kind of all that mind rules and the diet culture stuff, uh, that kind of blocks the hunger. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, sorry, did you want to add more? <laughs> yeah. And I was just going to emphasize too, you know, not turning it into a diet, right. Mm-hmm. And yes. that, yep. you know, it's, it's just information in our hunger and fullness like it's going to fluctuate based on season appetite, how much, you know, sleep, sleep we had or stress levels, you know, mm-hmm. all of those pieces come into play. It's not this exact science. And, and so just, um, just keep that in mind too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Being okay with things ebbing and flowing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then kind of the last piece too, I like to kind of bring it back to is the, the global self-care piece. So you know, when we can, like you said, do the mechanical eating or trying to set up our schedules or our lives to kind of prompt us to have those opportunities to eat or, you know, taking time to kind of, you know, holistically let kind of hunger, um, be allowed to happen by, um, you know, honoring, honoring that through the day, you know, taking breaks and, and, and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. And I think some, you know, I've had some clients and it even talks about in the intuitive eating book too, just how um, sometimes after finishing a diet or, you know, starting to move towards intuitive eating for a long time, when people start giving themselves unconditional permission to eat, they find like that they're extremely hungry. Right. And we mm-hmm. saw in like the Ansel Keys studies, you know, the participants that were in that, and they were, you know, on restrictive diets for a long time that, you know, they had extreme hunger for a long time and just recognizing too, that like, that's okay. And that's the way of, you know, the body starting to learn to trust you again. Right. Mm-hmm. And you're starting to learn to trust your signals again. And so, you know, there's no right or wrong way to do this. Um, and just be really gentle with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause depending on how long the restriction was or how depleted you were, it can take if like that time plus longer that it took to occur. So yeah, mm-hmm. honoring that it may be more intense at the beginning, um, especially well, depending on how long that restrictions kind of been in place for. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a really good mm-hmm. point. Thanks for bringing that up. Yeah. Great. Is there anything else you wanted to add to the hunger section? You know, I think just that our bodies are so complex. And when it comes to hunger, there's like physiological messages that are going on. There's hormonal, right? And, you know, oftentimes a lot of people might like complain about extreme cravings that they're getting. And, you know, there's a whole hormonal system that kind of tells us that we need these things. And especially with, you know, recently the low carb diet and the keto diet, right? You know, when we don't have enough carbohydrates, that neuropeptide Y is really sending strong signals that you need more. And mm-hmm. so oftentimes when we, you know, honor those cravings, then those signals can calm down, but they are friendly messengers, even though sometimes it's not portrayed as a friendly messenger to tell us that we need something. So mm-hmm. it's like, you know, the gaslight going off in your car, like that's a signal. This is a signal to, and, and try not to, um, try not to ignore it and try to trust it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Beautiful. 
Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Suzanne. Um, I always love closing the episodes on getting your hot tip or your hot take on how someone can protect themselves from diet culture. Mm -hmm. So many ways, but (laughs) I think, you know, it's about being aware of where it's popping up. And so be curious and inside, inside oneself and also around us and kind of use that information to kind of figure out, well, how does this feel and be reflective and, you know, is this working for me? What am I missing out on? How could life be different? Right. So just Mm -hmm. kind of being aware and um, reflecting on how this is going to work for you or not work for you in your life. Great. Great. And then how about more specifically uh, for people that have kids or little people in their lives, what would be kind of the best protective mechanism for them to protect them from diet culture? So I, I really think that um, working on our own relationships with our bodies, whether we're a parent or caregiver or family member um, can help us be role models to um, our children, Um, but at the same time, not putting too much pressure on ourselves, right? And just being honest that this is a process and most of us have grown up in immense diet culture and it's hard to know how to move away from it. And it might be something like, oh, I'm I'm still learning how to do this, just just being honest. And and that will help us too, to just kind of curate the narrative that they hear, right? And um, so that, you know, there's not as much exposure to it, but also recognizing when it does come up and then, then having conversations around it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lovely. Thank you. So where can listeners learn more about you and get connected with you? So um, you can check out my website. It's gutinstincts.ca. And I am also sometimes on Instagram at food.peace.mama. Amazing. Well, thank you very much. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed listening to Diet Culture Dropout. If you like today's podcast, I would love for you to leave a review, share the episode with a friend, or subscribe. The more we can collectively break down diet culture, the closer we get to food peace and celebrating all bodies. Thanks for being here. Thank you.